Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. I'm your host, Phoebe, uh, for Bragging Rights, along with my co-host, Joe. Hey, Joe, how are you doing this morning? Good morning. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. Every time you do it that way, when you say good morning, I always think you're going to say Vietnam every single time. You've done that before. <laughs> well, that's well, not you've I never wanna... actually said that, but you've done the good morning. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. random well, thought in I my head. a cup of coffee and- and, uh, and and some slippers on, and it's a good morning so far. You know, that is, that's what's so awesome about doing a podcast, right? Like, people who legitimately have to go into work for their radio shows, they got to get all ready for it. Maybe, I think, I'm guessing. They got to go into where people live. I mean, people work. But we get to stay in the, the, the comforts of yeah. our own homes. <laughs> they probably got to get dressed. ha. <laughs> 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 so I, I, We get to use pajamas That's right So uh, Joe Did you get to watch Well okay first of all I didn't get to figure out I didn't get to hear the reason why But why did the Rams just wear their normal outfits um, I think they had planned to uh, They weren't 100% normal um, Usually well, the <laughs> Yeah, they you know they had, they had the throwback helmets, so they went with the the whites with the throwback. Uh, that's an old Deacon Jones seventies uh, Rams helmet. So, but it, weren't they know, supposed to wear that obscenely yellow outfit? I think they have the choice, and maybe they just They're didn't lame. want to. Yeah, yeah, lame. Well, I think, yeah, well, I mean, it went from highlighter bowl to. Meh. You're talking about the Rams and, and it being lame, so, you know. <laughs> quite, quite a bit has happened since the last time we spoke about with the Rams. I well, mean, you it's know, weird it's... For, for one week or two weeks ago, you give your, your coach a new two-year agreement, and then and then you fire him the day after a, a football game. So it's, it's a big development there, so. You know, the the dysfunction that's going on in L.A. is comical at best. Well, I was uh, on a show earlier this morning, and we were talking about the Jeff Fisher uh, firing. And I said, you know, the thing is, they could it, it, it worked out well for the Seahawks fans because if they waited one more week, Fisher knows the Seahawks. And if there's one game he can can coach well, it'd be a game against the Seahawks because it has been a really quite a while where I feel like there has been this big of a gap in scoring um, where the defense didn't actually really keep the Seahawks from scoring. Usually it's it's, it's much more of a, a clause, kind of like when Earl Thomas said, hey, the score should be 10-3. This, these, we know each other as a, as a te- as teams, you know. But I think that's under Fisher. And the, they made the right decision, obviously, overall for the rest of their um, for their upcoming season and things of that nature. 
But when it comes to playing the Seahawks, I think Fisher definitely knew how to how to compete uh, against against the Seahawks guys. Yeah, but his problem was he only knew how to complete compete against the NFC West and could not. Oh yeah. Uh, oh no, I don't. I don't disagree. I'm just saying in regards to firing. Other, he couldn't play other teams. He only focused on within the division. So I mean, you know, he's a lifetime worse than 500 coach. So it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, watch the hiring process go on in L.A. Uh, there's numerous names that have already been mentioned. It could mm-hmm. be interesting. It'd be wonderful to actually have a, a rivalry that is significant again. I mean, you know, we're back to the we're back to people making excuses for the NFC West and the reason the Seahawks are in the playoffs already is because the NFC West is so terrible. Well, you know, at the beginning of the season, that wasn't the prediction. That wasn't the feeling. That wasn't the consensus at all. Um, well, that's why people did not whatever see we think in the beginning. Arizona, nobody saw this Arizona team coming. Nobody saw, well, everybody saw the L.A. Rams reaching mediocrity, but they're not even going to reach that. Well, I mean, the reality is uh, it hasn't been a very uh, stellar year for the NFC West. And nope. we, I mean, the, C, the Seahawks have not even performed the best that they've – and here's the thing that's amazing. I really do think in a lot of ways the roster is stronger than it's ever been. But when it came to actually being able to produce stuff on the field, it's been difficult because of injuries. You've got a quarterback that's never been injured that gets injured in the beginning of the season. You've had injury after injury. If all of these individuals can stay on the field healthy all at the same time, I think that the dominance of the Seahawks would come back the way that people remember the dominance. But there hasn't been a fully 100% well, game where right. the, the I, most yeah, significant players are all playing at the same time. There's been a situation – to overcome, to adapt, and to deal with week in and week out. Each week it's something different, and that causes the functionality of the the total of the whole team to suffer. And we have yet to see a Seahawks team uh, to play four quarters, three three uh, phases in a in a great manner. So you know, but that goes to. The resilience of the roster, you're right, and and the coaching staff, the ability to find people to get through the situations week in and week out, and you know, there's only one week where they really had a terrible performance. Everything else, they were there. It was just a little, a little short, you know, in anything they lost. Yeah, that was. I mean, after having such a long – that was the first period uh, – that, that was the first game since I've been a fan, obviously, because I'm a very new fan, uh, because I came right when Russell Wilson uh, was just a rookie. and So you are, the, so you are as people call the president of the bandwagon. Well, I mean, well, I guess. Yeah. But the, the the funny thing is – I got on the bandwagon before I knew that anything about right. 
the history of the Seahawks or that Steve. Russell Wilson would be so dominant. If I, if I just I, knew I just knew watching no. the preseason before he was considered the, the starter, before he was named the starter, I just remember going to bat for him saying, okay, I know right. nothing about football, but I will say that when I watch this man, it makes me want to know everything about football because there's such a dominance and there's such a dynamic presence that he has that I want to watch football. I mean, he is the very reason that – I went from somebody who who really didn't know anything about football to someone who really sure. wanted to know everything because there was such a tenacity about him. There was a work ethic to which he approached everything, and he and he almost had it so much exuding out of him that it just I just couldn't help but be enamored by by that kind of work ethic and wanting to know well why is he so passionate about this this sport and makes me want to know about the sport. But with that said, yes, I definitely got on the bandwagon, but I never knew that that bandwagon was going to go where it was going to go when I got on right. it. I really didn't know. Sure. No. <laughs> I just loved I just loved the quarterback at that time. And then I got to know the rest of the what the game's about and know the rest of the team uh his rest of his teammates and things of that nature. But I what I will say is because I have always just watched Russell at the helm of this team never allowing a blowout, always being able to find a way to match the performance of the offense of the on, on the other side, it was really it was really heartbreaking to see that not happen and for it to really fall a lot on Russell that when he had that presser that said it's, it falls on me and it absolutely did it did fall on him there was a lot of inaccurate passes that I didn't understand where it was coming from if there was no injury where was this inaccuracy coming from Russell Wilson that rarely happens all and then uh and then just interception after interception we you know I, I wanted to believe that the NFC championship game was just having a part two version but no this as my friend chad said it's the worst sequel he's ever seen you know and there's a lot of <laughs> yeah he's right, he's right. <laughs> it was the worst sequel so you know and 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 russell who's always been good about protecting the ball has had been in he's been intercepted so many times in the last few games uh no risk no glory but i'm just wondering what is happening when there's no excuse necessarily for it. Now he he threads the ball. I understand that, and so there's a chance that those things can get intercepted. But I don't know. There's just a lot of things uh, in the loss uh, where regular Russell would not have put his team in that position. So I, I don't know. Honestly, I feel that injured Russell has been playing on the edge of this for quite some time. I think that there's uh, something in his, in his mechanics that's either injury related or offensive line related. And he's been throwing balls that have been underthrown, uh, overthrown, not quite as mechanically sound as he has in the past. But I think that this weekend or this Thursday's game did a lot to alleviate some of that, I think that they, I think maybe they found a rhythm this week, and uh, moving forward, I don't think it's going to be as big a play. I think he was pressing a little too, because some of those balls, you're like, why did you even throw that? 
And and then some yeah. of them are just dumb luck. I mean, how I mean, many times does the ball go through Doug Baldwin's hands? It doesn't happen. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, for example, the final interception or the last, the last one of the last plays, he throws that interception. Double coverage, maybe triple coverage. I don't remember. Triple. With Jermaine Curse. Right, and so you it's know, Jermaine's fault. So you're That's thinking, okay, there's already a lot of hate for Jermaine. There's already a lot of hate for Jermaine, but you're gonna throw that. I mean, I know that you want to. I don't know if it's like he wants to bolster Jermaine Curse's confidence in himself to say, I still trust you no matter how many times you have failed me this season. I still will always give you a chance to make a play to reclaim the, the love of the, the, the fan base that has it's never been sold happen. on you completely. It you know, it doesn't matter what he does. The, the fans have decided. <laughs> I'm not going to fight this anymore. People have decided. And actually, I think the coaching staff has decided to to move him down to three on the 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 depth chart. So moving forward, but yeah, you know, Jermaine gets a lot of flack for things that you know he threw the ball into triple coverage, and it's Jermaine Curse's fault. You know, come well, on, it's not Jermaine Curse's fault. I don't I don't fault I him for that. And, and, and but at the same time, accountability, but the fans but don't. At the, but at the same time, I think the reason fans get upset, it's not Jermaine's fault, but the, pa- the fact that they feel like we have seen this man be given ample opportunities and he has sure. squandered them over and, and uh, over and over again. Year. Nobody's going to fault him on a triple a coverage and not year. being able to get that ball. But when you see him have an opportunity over and over and over and he does not capitalize on it and it, it – it, it's it's flabbergasting because he's always been – the reason I've fought for Jermaine for so long is because he has fought, he has come through a lot of the big plays. Right. That's why he, he has – but this year, a lot of those big plays are, are not happening. And so I don't know this where his headspace is. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. But something's different because Jermaine Curse is – people would say, oh, he's a second-half kind of receiver. Well, he hasn't been a first or a second half receiver this season, and that's the problem. <laughs> I give it to you. I give it to you, but if the season's not over, the chance for him to I know. He, make he makes his biggest place in the playoffs, to be honest. Hey, we're moving forward, so, you know, we'll see. There's a lot of things we can touch on, good, bad, and negative, from two weeks ago and Thursday. But the biggest news has been the uh, the blow up on the sidelines with Richard. I was Sherman about to ask you about that. I did miss this staff. because I didn't get to watch the whole game. But what what happened there? Uh, it was it wasn't televised. We didn't see oh, it, it wasn't. So, then how come it blew up? So so the majority of it was seen, I think, from beat writers in the in the booth. Up in mm-hmm. the the press box, so mm-hmm. they could look right down and see what was happening. I don't know. What do you think about the entire situation and and how it's played out? Okay, can you thing. tell me which which play was it that he got upset at again? Okay, it was first. Was it the one with John Ryan, or was it the interception that Russell? Sh- it was first and goal. 
and Seattle first and goal from the one, and Seattle threw the ball to Jimmy Graham. And oh, okay, I didn't see. I, okay, I didn't even see this at all. Okay, got it. and Jimmy had simultaneous possession, sort of, of the ball, and it was lucky to be ruled as an incompletion because Jimmy was out of bounds with his hands on the ball. But for me, it looked like a clear interception. But according to the timeline, I believe that is the situation where Richard Sherman decided to express his displeasure in play calling at the one to the head coach. And I believe that once he expressed his displeasure to the head coach, the offensive coordinator got a little upset because, first of all, it's none of his business. It's not his place. Okay? He got bent out of shape for them throwing the ball on the one to Jimmy Grant. The next, you know, they're, they're over there having the discussion, but the very next play, they run the ball from the one and don't get in. The very next play, they throw the ball from the one in a touchdown to Doug Baldwin. No one complains about that one. So is it is Richard Sherman complaining because they threw the ball to Jimmy or because they threw the ball or because they didn't throw the ball to his buddy on the left-hand side, Doug Baldwin? Which one of those three do you feel Richard Sherman is most upset about? I don't think he's upset on any of those things. I think that what happened oh, – he was upset. I, I, I think what happened is that he has PTSD in some sort of form of the, the New England Patriots situation and feeling like, what are you doing not – what are you doing passing? I don't think it's – I think that if, if, if Richard – if Richard Sherman – here's – let me backtrack. I know that they had an hour-long conversation, sorted things out, that – that Pete Carroll did everything to kind of nip this in the bud to be able to still remain very much Pete Carroll, giving freedom to his players, but at the same time putting his foot down and and making Richard Sherman know that there is there would be consequence to the way he disrespected him in front of everybody uh, and that that's not acceptable. So that's a good thing. Great job for Pete Carroll. But, but – you know, one of the things that he mentioned in the whole scheme of things is how some of that stuff from New England creeps its way up sometimes still, that they have moved past it. It's not something that's always in the forefront, but it is still something tender there, that it comes back once in a while. And so to him, they seem to correlate more to what happened in New England and and just the frustration. I mean, I don't know if you remember when that interception was thrown, one of the first people they put the camera on was Richard Sherman and the sure. look of utter confusion and uh, like what just happened on his face. I don't think you ever totally get over that 100%. And when you feel like we've seen this before and we've seen what's happened before, you know, but, yes, do people complain when it actually works out? No. Nobody remembers that. But when it doesn't work out, it brings back memories of other times where it didn't work out. And what's that the best way? When you have, you know, 
a situation where you could run it in. But at the same time, obviously, the run game in that game was having a situation in and of itself. So I can understand yeah, why that call Donald was made. <laughs> so, um, My take is, more than anything, it's not Richard's place. It's oh, yeah. Never. No, it's not. And, and, it's, and the team cannot function in that manner. You didn't see last year uh, when the defense uh, would give up the lead in the fourth quarter. You didn't see Doug Baldwin running over to Chris Richard saying, you know, why are you running, you know, cover three? Why are you not blitzing? Why did you do this? Questioning the defensive uh, struggles down the fourth quarter. My biggest, biggest problem was, the you have to honor our sacrifice comment. I don't know if you heard this, but one of the comments that Richard Sherman made was that you have to honor the sacrifice of the defense. We're out there putting our bodies on the line for this team, and you dishonor, disrespect, or totally devalue the efforts of the defense by throwing the ball on first down. To first of all, to even think that they're consciously disrespecting a member of their own team by play calling is ridiculous. But it is not a player's place at all, especially in the press or or live in an interview, to disrespect the coaching staff. Is, in that when matter. did he say those words? Was it in uh, an official interview after, or was it overheard? Yeah. This was a sideline interview, or excuse me, a locker room interview. I believe Liz Matthews was the one that primarily got, uh, or this might have been at the podium. Uh, I can't uh, can't tell for sure, and you know I'm unofficial in the first place. But it seriously, it was you are disrespecting the efforts of the defense by throwing on the one, and I don't believe that to be true. And I don't think that you can categorize and that pits one side of the ball against each other. Um, that, that, that says that the defensive efforts are more valuable and they should be respected more than the offensive uh, efforts. And that it's on the offense to respect or value the effort of the defense by scoring points or not turning the ball over or not putting the defense into uh, – tough positions. That, to me, is one of the most ridiculous statements he's ever made, and probably the the one I disagree with. For the majority of the time, I'm okay with with Richard Sherman's personality, his, you know, basic hot-headedness, but but, uh, most of the things, you know, even the discussion with Thursday night being a an unsafe game. I don't have a problem with him being outspoken, but I do have a problem with him throwing the other side of the ball under the bus. Um, it's almost as if, as if he's become the voice of some of the some of the Twitter trolls out there that that hate the offensive coordinator. That Richard Sherman is the voice of reason to them, and you can see them running to his, you know. But I just, you know, and then to say that it's disrespectful and it's not going to happen and 
Richard Sherman's not going to let it happen. Like he's somehow been elected the informal president of what should happen to the team (laughs) is a little big for your britches, I think. Now, I mean, we got to think about there was this persona of Richard that he he produced, right, in the beginning of his career. Uh, And then it it, it tapered off for a while. We hadn't seen this abrasiveness of Richard Sherman uh, gained respect of everybody, didn't feel the need to be boisterous as much. Uh, but then a lot of different things happened this season where I feel a lot of the brashness, so that was part of Richard Sherman in the beginning, has been coming back out again, which to me just signifies that there's a lot of fire, uh, there's a lot of fire in him. Uh, I but, think that... Okay, what, what, what do you think the reason for that coming back out is? What's the need for it? Uh, well, I think final, I mean, I, I, to be honest, I just think that he just has something to say. He feels like he has something to say. I think that in the other years where he got quiet, he just didn't feel like there was anything to say. But right now he does feel like there's things to say. In the other years where he got quiet, he uh, received a contract that was much more favorable. I think that it was part of brand building in in the beginning. Um, you know the efforts on the field, of course, great player, but the the voice off the field was was part of building a brand and building building up to a contract uh, that's worthy of his some of his skills in his mind. Now I don't understand why this is coming back up, other than maybe frustration. I do from, think it's frustration. Yeah, but they they have to to deal with it better. Here's the reality, too. Maybe it's frustration with the offense. Maybe it's frustration with themselves as the defense. I mean, this is is coming a week after probably one of the poorest performance in the sense of being able to uh, keep another team from blowing out your team. You know, there's there's a lot of emotions. Who knows all the aspects of of losing Earl, or or just feeling like, why are you doing this? I I'm not I'm not I'm not excusing Richard Sherman, and I I agree with you. There is no he it is out of place, and it is not his right. Uh, but I'm not totally opposed with the fact that he feels this way. And obviously something triggered inside of him a very honest statement, and I think it's something that he probably needed to have that conversation with, with Pete Carroll for Pete to realize that some of there are some residuals or some feelings there that, that Pete needs to recognize exist. Because he, just because it's not proper or right for him to say it, he obviously feels it to some degree. There is some real frustration against the offensive coordinator, maybe not the offensive coordinator, but some of the play calling that's happened in the past that in his mind has been disrespectful because, because whatever it may be. It may not be valid in the sense of there, there, there might not be as much uh, truth to it as he thinks, right. but it is still, that, that but it's still a reality that – Oh, and absolutely, that discussion needs to happen behind doors. It doesn't need to happen in the sidelines. It doesn't need to be seen by the public. And if there's anything that this organization has done so well in the past is keep everything in-house. 
And so I yeah. think that's probably part of the discussion that him and Pete Carroll had. That you are always, I'm always going to give you the freedom. I'm never going to stifle you. But respect this team to keep our dirty laundry within the, within the family and let's deal with it within the family. You don't need to introduce it to everybody else who feel like they need to get involved in things that they don't know anything about. And so just keep that in-house. I, I'm sure he did give him that talk. But at the same time, reassure him, I love you as a man. I love you, who you are and what you do. I, I'm not going to keep, I'm not going to stifle you, but understand don't disrespect this organization again in the manner that you did by by doing that. I mean, this is like the second, what, blow up that we've seen from Richard. Uh, but this one probably is a, a lot more, a lot, uh, it felt a lot more, um, Disrespectful simply because it was to the coach and also because the first blow up, Chris Richard had to admit this, that there's got to be some something from his side that he needed to take ownership from too. So, sure. But the biggest thing with the earlier blow up with Chris Richard is that's that's the coach responsible for his side of the ball. You know what I mean? The, the, mm-hmm. I don't have a problem. It still doesn't need to be, don't need to be upstaging your coaches on the sidelines. But that's the guy who controls um, the play calls on your side of the ball. So I can understand that conversation a whole lot more than confronting. But you know the what? Coordinator. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I will say this: this team doesn't do a your ball, my ball. You may think that Richard Sherman's saying that's, he's that's saying the that uh, the defense now it's starting now it's starting to happen. You're seeing well, I'm saying I'm saying that you may think that Richard Sherman's saying that you're disrespecting the work of the defense is pitting defense against offense. I don't think so at all. I I I when I hear that I hear we're a team and what you do affects us as well. Like, all of us work together. And when you do something like this, it makes us feel like you value that side more than what we're doing. I mean, that's what I hear. I don't necessarily hear our side is more important. What I feel like he's saying is there's, there's, we're always working with each other to make this team work. And right now, when we're doing some stuff and you choose to do that, that's disrespectful, feels disrespectful to us because then I feel like you're wanting to do all this stuff on the offense that has, that does damage to every, what we're doing as a t- total team. That's what I hear from him. But I don't, but at the same time, I can, he, I can understand why you might hear it the other way, which is that he's elevating the defense over the offense. But I hear him trying to, to balance the offense and defense respect of things like to him, he felt like it was a disrespect. Like I, we're making sacrifices that you're not recognizing. Obviously, that might just be emotion speaking, and it's not reality. But maybe he's he maybe he felt that that way. He just feels that way. I mean, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna obviously I'm not gonna defend him in the sense of I don't think you should ever do those things publicly. But in regards to what he feels, I think he he feel he has every right to feel whatever he feels. He just maybe don't do it in public. Don't say it in public. It's not your right to. So, but I mean, we did. I didn't know we were gonna get off on 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 his tirade. Okay. Can we just let's let's switch let's switch conversation and talk about your your pal John Ryan. Oh, 
speaking of John Ryan, instead of going Friday night, I have decided that I'm going tonight. So at 8 o'clock tonight, I'm going to Tacoma Comedy to see John Ryan's wife, Sarah Colonna, and a friend of mine, Monica Nevy, at Tacoma Comedy, 8 o'clock. And I believe John's been there all weekend. So after what was one of the craziest calls by a coach, um, there's been there's been talk on the radio that it was running up the score, if you will, a little bit of take that in the play call. Pete calls it, hey, I'm just competing. I'm trying to hold the ball, and I'm trying to run the clock out. What do you want me to do, punt the ball to you so you can possibly score more points? It's it's a football game, and I'm going to compete. Uh, I'm okay with that. Now, as for John Ryan and his open field running technique, <laughs> it's very uh, – <laughs> it was so close to him taking it all the way. If that ball doesn't come loose, he gets at least 10 or 15 more yards. I don't understand why the ball came loose, but it it's the funniest thing in the world until you realize that the player is actually hurt, you know? You're just giggling because it looks so hilarious, and then then you're like, oh, my goodness, another, you know, another player is down and, and – to watch Cassius Marsh just kind of softly rubbing John Ryan's back, like, it's okay, you'll be all right. Just patting him like a little child that had scraped his knee, but it's, he's unconscious. Uh, John Ryan has, and unfortunately, they got really good pitchers again. So, it's you know, face. once again, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an <laughs> epic John Ryan face. Again, um, just like when he threw that touchdown. <laughs> if you wanted to ask him a question tonight, what question would you ask him? I have no idea. Which face do you like more? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but in the, in the reality of it, though, is we I think we're the team is lucky enough to have nine days off or whatever. For him to go through the protocol, to obviously it can't be, you know, and I hate to to measure, but if he's out in public and out in bright lights and 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 possibly driving up and down, I I don't think the symptoms are as bad as they could have been. So I believe he'll be back next week. We won't have to go to an emergency punter. But speaking of the emergency punter, I believe Jermaine Curse's name has been named. So, I mean, if you want another reason to complain, that would be awesome for people to just have to complain about Jermaine Curse and his terrible punts. But I think he'll be okay. And I think we'll look back as one of the funniest, you know, which is the funniest moment in John Ryan's career? Uh, Yeah, I mean... That it's crazy. I I mean his when I watched, reel is getting is getting pretty good, right? <laughs> yeah, for for real. Uh, I mean he's he's a he's a fun character, and uh, it's been fun to watch 
everything he's done to contribute to this to this uh sure. to this team. And it, it was hard to know. I mean, I, I, the good thing is it sounds like he's he got cleared, right? Him both well, him and Michael yeah, he's Bennett. Been out this weekend. He got out of the hospital, but he's been out all weekend with Sarah. So they he's been down in Tacoma. Uh, he support he goes to every show with her that he can. So I don't know if you've ever been to comedy, but sometimes you know comedy is very it's it's fun and I go to a lot of it. But sometimes hearing someone do the same routine five times in a row, it can you know. But he really supports her. Yeah, he has a great time every time he goes. He he stays with her at the meet and greet afterwards, so everyone gets a chance. To not only meet Sarah, but also, you know, talk with John. So it's really nice. Well, I mean, that that's just a sign of a, a healthy relationship, right? Just being able to be supportive of your spouse in whatever realm of, of um, career they have. I mean, it, it, they have the opportunity to be to be able to do that, to be that supportive in, and that present in each other's career, Um not necessarily everyone has that opportunity with their spouses, obviously, because every spouse has a different career that doesn't necessarily sure. allow the presence of the other spouse to be there. Um, this is a very unique relationship, uh, not unlike a military relationship uh, sometimes, because each of them both have commitments that take them out of town uh, week in and week out. So, they, their relationship is a lot of time away and back together, time away and back together. And it's very, it's a difficult thing to do, but, uh, you know, that's kind of what I've done. But it's gotten so, it's changed so much since I got out of the military. My wife and I used to spend months apart from each other, uh, mm, that's tough. weeks training. Uh, you know, not not whole years, but but now five minutes. I'm late five minutes from the store. I'm getting texts and calls. She's so comfortable with me being here and available to her all the time that it's totally changed. I mean, after eight months away, we, you know, we would correspond once a week and we'd be comfortable with that. Now I can't go ten minutes without her finding out what I'm doing. It's funny. <laughs> it's hilarious to me. Well, that's. So, well, that's good. If it feels, I think that, you know, I it's much props to your wife to be able to handle that. I I've always wondered. I mean, I think it's it would be difficult for me if I was in a relationship where I wouldn't be able to talk to. Um, well, you know, real truth, real talk, if you will. Uh, we got married in 1989. In 1992, we moved to Texas, and I got sent to a school. So that school was seven months. My wife had first moved to Texas. She's a German and had never lived in the United States before. She's at home for seven months by herself, pregnant. Um, And I had to go to Maryland for six months, seven months. So, you know, to survive that is, is, well, it, it strengthens your relationship to be able to do it. But it's tough. And there are families in the military going through stuff like that. As we speak, holidays, I, I can tell you numerous holidays where I'm I'm in other people's countries, I'm in I'm in training areas, whatever. 
and my wife has made it through all of it. She's the better person for it than, than I will ever be. But, yeah. I Yeah, I mean, I I was watching uh, some of the videos during Veterans Day and, and just crying because it just reminded me so much, not only of the sacrifice the veterans make, but but the families. I mean, just just when those kids hug their parents or just oh. the excitement they see when they, they come and visit, it's, it's just that reminder that, you know, that is somebody's family that is sacrificing that, everything for our freedom. I'm telling but, you, that, that is one of the most I, – I, I can't totally describe it, but that situation, coming home, and you know, seeing your family or your kids, and <laughs> you're in the gym, you're in formation, and you finally get to see your family, and then you're released, and your family comes running. You cannot describe. It would take a grown man and turn him into a just a weeping. It's it's very very emotional, and I, I can't watch those because that is the most. I know exactly how those people are feeling and it's it's almost too much for me to watch but it's the greatest moment to be able to but then there are times when those people that are waiting they don't they, they, you know that that soldier that that man or woman never comes home and that's even worse but wow <laughs> we turned a corner there <laughs> yeah well that that's part of the Anybody who listens to our show on a regular tip knows <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that we will we will go places wherever uh, the wind blows. And, I mean, and we yeah. don't we don't have a producer that tells us what our what our script is and where we need to go in 15 minutes or that. Well, we we have about a less than an hour. We have about 45 minutes left, and so why don't do you want to just kind of leap into some of the games first and foremost? Uh, let's skip the games for right now for this week and talk about the game that you invited me to that I had to unfortunately say no to, which really kills me because I've been, like, super excited about the chance to go to Ooh, a game. Yeah. But it's kind of uh, one of those things, right? You 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 choose family. You have to choose family. Um, uh, well, I respect that, too. I respect that, too. Um, that was tough, so, yeah. though. <laughs> I so, called them saying, so do, can we be late? <laughs> no. Okay. That's fine. that's fine. It's okay. I mean, the opportunity for me just came up. I got a text this week from from one of the guys I know in the second row there, and just gotta get that in. But uh, yeah, he asked me if I would be interested in getting tickets for Christmas Eve, Arizona versus Seattle. So I get to go, um, and also someone else who sits in that row is. It's going to be giving or selling a ticket to me for for Hoa. So Hoa is going to come with me as well as one of my other friends. I believe I got a loose commitment from comedian Brian Moot to go with me on Sunday. So since Phoebe couldn't go and my aunt couldn't go and my wife ain't standing out there in the cold, I reached out to Brian and Brian's going to go with me. So it could be a great day. Um, looking forward to I think there's some things going on in the morning I, I think that Hoa has put together uh, uh, a trip down to Pioneer Square to maybe hand out some things that he's been collecting uh, for some people maybe the homeless or people that are just needy I guess and, and so 
So we're going to go down. That's what I thought you were inviting me to, to be fun. You are welcome to come. Because that's what Hoa invited me to. So when you had texted me, that's what I thought you were talking about. (laughs) If you show up, there will be coffee and donuts for sure, maybe even breakfast, whatever. Well, um, he was telling me the Sean Fox. So he (laughs) was like, ah. I'll be there as well. Yeah, that that's true. That I I didn't I didn't put that out, and I don't think he put that out. But I believe Deshaun Fox is oh, I'm coming so sorry. with him to help it's out. It's not like anybody that's is okay. gonna be like, oh. That's fine. If if they do, you know, they, hey, for a player or a former player being recognized for doing a good thing, whoa, that's terrible. But yeah, I believe Deshaun's going to be there. Um. So, you know, hopefully next week get to see some people. I know uh, it'll give me a chance to say hello to Mommy. It'll give me a chance to say hello to – Is she going to be there? Oh, she's always the game. She's a season ticket holder. I thought you meant the morning thing. No, this is for the game. I'll usually go in early, so I'll talk to Eileen. I'll talk to Jody and several other fans that, that, uh, you know, it'll be nice. It'll be – I think Sunday's game is going to be an unsocial event for fans because, or excuse me, Saturday's game. Uh, I don't expect much from the Arizona Cardinals. I think this is a team that's broken. Um, I, I don't want to point fingers at, at them for recently having another player get a DUI and, and they cut him because it appears that maybe the Seahawks had a DUI arrest last night. So Who? You know, uh, Demontre Moore, but this is this is uh, nothing's charged. This was uh, alleged, I guess. It's just it's Twitter, so nothing's verified. But it could come down as news later this week, which is very unfortunate. I thought Demontre Moore was playing well when he came in, uh, and then started get some foot problems and and has struggled with injuries since then. But I thought he was uh, contributing uh, and helping out with the depth on the pass rush, especially while Michael Bennett was out. He helped quite a bit. So anyway, but I I think I think the, the uh, other than David Johnson and Larry Fitzgerald, there's not much more to worry too much about the Arizona Cardinals. They always play tough against the Seahawks. So we'll see moving forward next week. You know, I'm sure they're going to come up here and try and spoil things because that's, you know, that's basically what they have left to play for. Yeah. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. I, I hope I was looking at, at just the situation of the NFC West and just thinking about even the San Francisco 49ers and, Will they go 115 uh, this season? Will Chris? I, I mean, will so. Chip Kelly get his? Uh, will Chip Kelly keep his position? Will they find a quarterback they really can get behind and can be a franchise quarterback for the organization? It's kind of amazing. I'm sure Alex Smith, even though some people still knock Alex Smith, and I know that some people feel like his his career is not going to continue. I mean his 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 te- the well, team his that he's in right now. His, um, Alex Smith's career is definitely eclipsed Colin Kaepernick's by now. So mm-hmm. in the end, 
was, you know, Jim Harbaugh's decision right for that year? You know, we can never go back and replay it. Could this? Could the 49ers have returned? Could they have made the Super Bowl with Alex Smith instead of Colin Kaepernick that year? And would they have been better off in the, you know, in the long run with Alex Smith? Ooh, just not going to be able to tell. But obviously, the Kansas City Chiefs have been better off with uh, Alex Smith. Than, you know, and what's amazing is I think – what's amazing is I think that Harbaugh made that decision thinking that Kaepernick's ceiling was going to be higher. And right. it turned out that was not the case. And Or maybe it, it was so just they did not know how to utilize him properly. Uh, I mean, it definitely didn't seem to know how to be utilized properly it, by oh, what was who was that coach that they had for a year? I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Jim Tom Sula. No. Uh, Tom Sula. Tom no, Sula no, no, definitely no. did not know Alex how to Smith? utilize him properly. You're talking about so. Alex Smith? No. Uh, oh. Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, it's Tom Sula. Yeah. Yeah, and you look at the landscape in the NFC West right now, and you go, okay, Rams are going to need a new coach. Is Bruce Arians healthy enough to continue as a coach? Uh, there is no football game that is worth uh, your life. And obviously it's causing health concerns with Bruce Arians. I'm not trying to run him out the door because I don't, you know, I really like not liking him. You know, he gives me a character or a focal point because uh, otherwise you have to not like Larry Fitzgerald, right? And the Arizona, you have to not like Calais Campbell. But I really respect both of those players, and especially for the efforts that they've been continuing to do year in and year out. But Bruce Arians gives me a reason not to like the Cardinals, so I'm good with that. But there's definitely a possibility that he could be – the, the Cardinals could be looking for not only a new coach, possibly a new quarterback. They they may be so silly as to try a Tony Romo situation. Could you imagine hmm. two day two games next year against Tony Romo and and Cliff Averill with another chance to you know come around the corner and 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 sack Tony Romo again and and then then you have. Uh, San Francisco now is Chip Kelly going to survive a really bad one and fifteen season? I think so, but I don't think the general manager is. Um, I think that Balky might get fired, and and you know five years ago Balky was the best general manager. He had assembled a team supposedly that was the best in the NFL, and I think it was more the people working under him helped him, Scott McLuhan, if you will. Uh, helping him to find talent because their drafts since have not been as effective, have not turned out. I think that Balky has basically turned the team into a mediocre uh, 53-man roster. So there could be a lot of turnover starting next year. Um, And Seattle will have the continuity once again of head coach, general manager, owner, the continuity and functionality of a franchise are so important. Um, they've done – John Snyder's done a great job this year at managing and finding people to contribute 
after injury after injury. Marcel Reese is just another in a long line of wise moves he's made all year long. Uh, we get a fullback that comes in that makes our team better in week 15. Marcel Reese is a much better player than Will Tukuafu. He gives the team flexibility that Tukuafu never gave them. He gives them the blocking, but he also gives them uh, halfback skills. But more than anything, he's a great receiver. And they found him in week 15. It's just been spectacular the way he's managed uh, the waiver wire all year long. I got off on a tangent again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but no, we are blessed that it feels like that happens more often than not, that they're able to find people that can come in late into the season and they're, they're not just there just to be there, but they actually are contributors to this team and what the team can become. I am amazed at the, well, just look, this week, I mean, this week they brought in Marcel Reese and Jaron Johnson. Jaron Johnson had a spectacular hit on special teams. And you could tell he was just pumped and excited to be back contributing on a team. I never saw him, you know, and I saw him limited in Washington as a safety. But, I mean, he made that hit this weekend, and he popped up like it was great to be home. And, I, you know. I told you a long time ago that Jaron was one of my guys. I cannot wait to bring Jaron some uh, M&Ms this weekend just to, just to say hello and welcome back. Um, yeah, so to to get Jaron Johnson the week after, you know, Earl goes down, it's nobody's talking about it, but that just fills in. It, it makes the room comfortable again. It It gives another player that, it's familiar with the system, familiar with the players and the coaching staff, and just he fits right back in. Now, now he's not Earl Thomas, but, you know, he's a Seahawk. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's been numerous guys. I could I could keep going down and down. Between Marcel Reeves, Jaron Johnson, Nico Thorpe, uh, Dewey McDonald, Chanel Jenkins, John or John Jenkins, uh, they they just keep getting uh, they keep getting guys and and they keep rolling dice on guys that you'll find out next season. They might be even more uh, contributing players. They have players that they brought in and hidden away that next year are going to compete to fit on this team, and it, it, it's spectacular. That's my favorite part I mean, of roster, I... roster churning and, 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 you know. But look at look at uh, Cassius Marsh. Cassius Marsh has taken the Deshaun Shedd route to becoming a contributing player on this team, and it's fun to watch. The first year he comes in, he doesn't get a lot of playing time. Second year he goes to special teams and starts actively trying to perfect his special teams craft and then suddenly becomes a contributing player on defense because of the attention to detail he shows on special teams. He sees the route of success on this team. If you're not a starter, you have to find a role that uh, contributes. And to watch the way he's playing now is just – 
It's just a, a delight. I mean, I <clears throat> I agree. It's, I mean, one of the thing one of the things that I have always um, appreciated about this team it's this ability to um, to grow players. Um, sure. Yeah, because exactly. I, I feel like that's something sure. that sometimes it's it's not a strong suit for some people, uh, for some teams that they want ready-made people, uh, and right. and instead this team is able to see what a player can be, and not only can they see what a player can be, but not 100% of the time, but a good chunk of the time they're able to cultivate that so that they become the player they thought they thought that they could be. And in the end of the day, the player may or may not stay with the Seahawks, but they, the Seahawks reap the benefit of being able to grow players. Uh, that's, so, one of the, that's a great point. That's a great point right there, and I'm going to say this real quick before we transition into the games today. One of the points of interest from last Thursday to me was the fact that Gary Gilliam got back in the game. I cannot – this situation unfolding is crazy. The fact that he got back into the game and competed is important because I think, honestly, he was very close to being cut, outright cut. Um, I think that maybe the relationship is improving. I may be totally wrong. But with him coming back in the game, it does ensure a little bit of confidence in me and his situation because I believe next year, even if he's not on the team, the team will get something back because someone else will pick up Gary Gilliam if he doesn't stay on the team. And he will earn a compensatory draft pick for the team. And that's just part of what makes Seattle successful. I just wanted to say, you know, I'm really glad that and, – and then to watch the pictures after the game, to see him actively involved in the offensive line group again and smiling – that that was a big lift for me because I felt like that situation was getting really bad. Mm. So I mean, I, I think anyway. I think this I, I think this team uh-huh. also uh, is a team that exhausts all things before sure. they move on from someone. Yes. And, 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 uh, and but I've seen we have seen in the past where they make the decision and they live with it. Now they did it with Percy and they did it with. Uh, who else did they do it with? Um, the uh, the quarterback, Kerry Williams. They did that. They made the decision. They did it this year with Jim Marcus Webb. So when they decide that it's done, now they're not afraid to pull the trigger and, and, and look foolish for spending money and on a player, but they'll make a decision that benefits the team, and they won't turn back. Yeah, no, for that's the other side of the Seahawks that makes them successful. They will do everything in their power to make sure that they've exhausted all efforts, but once they have, even if it's it's a big loss financially, they'll do it. Right, they'll, they'll do swallow it. And they won't think twice. And, and do what's right for the team. Speaking of doing Absolutely. what's right for the team, let's talk about David. Let's talk about the guy who's taken over, what is it, David S., also known, a.k.a. the 12-ster, <laughs> taking over the lead in the Bragging Rights podcast, Pick'em Group, 
Uh, no excuses will be made. He's two in a row for the week. So with Phoebe, uh, they're on the move for one of the best weeks ever. Of course, they got the Seahawks game correct and also picked last night's game with the Miami Dolphins as correct. Keep an eye out for the Dolphins and what they can do with Matt Moore. Coming down to the playoffs, they're sitting at 9-5, and five, so they're still in the playoff mix for the AFC. So moving into Sunday's games, I thought, I don't, I don't know what you thought, but I thought a lot of them were no-brainers. Uh, well, it seemed like uh, we'll I could, see. when I finally did actually submit my picks and to double. So check did you them, log out and log back them. in? What did you do? I just triple checked them this time. I don't know what happened. No excuse, but you know, Phoebe, I would have picked the Seattle Seahawks, correct? Oh, I know that you would have picked the Seattle Seahawks, well, and you probably would have and, picked the Dolphins. I would have probably picked but the Dolphins. Coulda, woulda, but coulda, woulda, coulda. It is what it is. So moving it forward, is what it is. the it all gem works of the out. morning, the starting game of the morning is interesting to not very many people. The 0-13 Cleveland Browns are going on the road to the Buffalo Bills. So I know. I know New York this time of the year. It's cold. The Cleveland shouldn't have a problem. They should be an outdoor cold team. I don't know how much I could talk about this. and I don't think there's anything I could say to talk myself into the Cleveland Browns. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah, there's just nothing I can do. I'm taking the Bills, and, and you know, the, the Browns could win a game and still be the number one draft pick. The problem with the Browns is they picked a year to go to be the first pick in the draft, and they don't have a clear-cut quarterback to choose from. Uh, the best player is a pass rusher, and so that's probably what they're going to have to do. So they're not going to be able to find a franchise quarterback in the first round. They're they're going to need to to pull some Seahawks magic or pull some Cowboys magic and find something in the second, third, or fourth round, and it's going to be tough to do. So I'm taking the Bills, of course, and I bet you're taking the Browns, right? <laughs> uh, definitely the Bills. Uh, definitely when it comes down to it, I think that it's going to be an amazing day once Cleveland really figures things out and turns that franchise around because – once they actually find a real franchise quarterback that they can um, they can get behind, it's been a long time. Uh, that's going to be amazing. It's been that's it's been yeah, it's, a, it's been a long time, and there's a whole long list. You know, it's like so many ex-boyfriends. <laughs> there's right, so many so, on that list. <laughs> so many ex-boyfriends could be ex-girlfriends. All right, so the Bills are a 96 percent uh, uh, choice. So, obviously, there were 4% of the people out there that chose the Cleveland Browns. Those 4%, and they were all in good Cleveland. luck to you people. Good luck. <laughs> they all live uh, in the Cleveland. Next game, <laughs> the next game has the exact same percentage, and that has the Green Bay Packers at 7-6 and six going into Chicago, uh, probably freezing cold, uh, windy city Chicago. So, it's going to be a really cold game. The Bears, according to this, are four percent of the people are 
picking the Bears. The Bears could pull off an upset here. I don't see it happening, but it's a division game. First of all, you just division games are different. You know, even you know, the Seahawks could be scoring twenty five points a game and play the Rams and only score uh, three or six. Um, Green Bay and Chicago. Chicago's not going to the playoffs, so this is the Super Bowl for the Chicago Bears. The fan base would do nothing, would love nothing more, beat the Green Bay Packers at home and deny the Green Bay Packers a playoff game. So if I believe if the Green Bay Packers lose today, they'll probably be out totally of the playoff scenario. And that's, I believe, six years running that the Packers have been in the playoffs. So this could stop a streak of, of successful dominance in in uh, the NFC North. But I'm not going to pick that. I'm taking the Packers. Yeah. The reality is uh, the Bears do have a chance to upset this situation. I just think that because the Packers have been – struggling um have struggled so much in the in the during the season and now they're kind of turning the corner i i think that the mindset that they're approaching this game involves keeping that momentum going um till the end till the final stretch of this this season so that's the only reason if i felt like the packers had less fight in them I would go for the Chicago Bears, but I think that the Packers know what they want and they know what they need to get there. My biggest concern might be if you watch the game with Seattle against Green Bay and and the following week. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers looks a little banged up. So if Chicago can. That's why that was even more irritating, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Well, what was irritating was was the way that the defensive line was instructed to rush the passer. Uh, I think they made them hesitate to not get uh, offsides calls, told them to wait, ensured it was a coaching point all during the week, so it slowed the pass rush down a lot. But anyway, that's, you know, spilt milk, if you will. Chicago's Mm. got a chance, and if they get to Rodgers, they can – they can make some things happen. The Bears have a couple of pass rushers that are fun to watch, but still it's good. Uh, the Packers are against the wall on the road against the Bears team on their third quarterback. So, you know, I take the Packers. Another team coming up in this next game, the Pittsburgh Steelers are on the road against the Cincinnati Bengals. The Cincinnati Bengals are another team that's currently on, a, I believe, a five-year streak of going to the playoffs that is in jeopardy of ending this season. So I had the Steelers going into Cincinnati and beating them. The Steelers have a much better offense. Um, you know, the Bengals have played well without two of their stars. They played a lot scrappier than I thought they would, and they proved me wrong on a couple weeks, but I'm still going to take the Steelers. Yeah, I have the Steelers too. Um, I just think that's the way to go, to be honest. The, yeah, I think, the Bengals I think if, could, I think but that playoff playoff spot goes down to the Steelers and the Ravens, and I think maybe both of them get in. 
going to be interesting to see. Well, the Ravens are sitting at 7-6. They really need to tighten things up. I think that last spot falls between um, Denver, the Ravens, and possibly either the Colts or the Titans. I think Houston, now, you know, I was on the Titans, but, you know, every other week the Titans can't come through for me. So, you know, I just don't know what's going to happen in the AFC South. But but doesn't win the division. The other two are desperately holding on to a, a wild card chance. And Denver's in that same situation. So, I am I'm definitely, wait, hold on. What's the next game? Oh, I'm I'm distracted now. What did you see? No, 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 nothing. The what was I looking at? I was looking at my picks, and now I'm distracted. Don't know what I'm doing. Do do do. I'm getting back now. So, oh, jeez. I'm totally just get it together, Joe. Game. Get it together. Yeah, I know, right? Terrible. What is going on? All right, so we're moving on. This is the game I think that you and I might have a difference with, and this mm-hmm. I think is the most exciting game of the week. So this is nine and four against nine and four. We got Detroit Lions going on the road to a giant scene that I think we have all been underestimating all season long, and, and then you look up now, and they're 9-4, and four, and I'm, what, a game and a half behind the Dallas Cowboys, but they're in the mix for the best record in the NFC. They could end up being the one seed, the Giants could. Uh, coming down, they close it out with three straight wins. Um, they have a better record than Seattle does then. If if the Dallas Cowboys lose two more times, the New York Giants would be the number one seed. So Detroit is going into New York with a hot defense for New York with a quarterback with a bad finger. For this reason, uh, an injured quarterback going on the road to New York, I chose the New York Giants to win this game at home. Um, I chose I know the Giants, Lions, too. You you told the Giants as well. So I thought here's maybe the thing. there'd be a difference. Okay, go ahead. I, it, here's here's the reason why. You know, I'm not a big believer in the Giants. Uh, I I always felt like their record was deceiving, uh, but he, when it comes down to it, I trust their defense. E- even though I feel like their offense is just nothing to look at, and it's kind of frustrating to watch, their defense is really on point. And I and when it comes down to it, I think that's what. Is why, I mean, obviously that's the reason why the record is what it is. When I said that it was deceptive, to me, I, I feel like when a, a record is strong, you'd like to believe that there's a balance between the strength of the offense and the defense. But, but, but obviously defense wins games, and, and so that's where it is. Uh, I chose the Giants simply because their defense is so strong. Yeah, and so moving on to – so we both got the Giants. We're both on the Giants today. That's nice. Um, the Tennessee Titans are on the road against the Kansas City Chiefs. I think the Tennessee, this is this is a, a loser-goes-home game for them, if I had to 
think if they get to seven and seven, they're much like uh, I was speaking with the Packers. I think they're done. They have to win this game on the road against Kansas City. Uh, you're going into Arrowhead. It's freezing cold. I don't see it happening. I'm taking Kansas City. I like that defense. Kansas City is going to continue to roll um, and also apply pressure to New England. It could be that Kansas City ends up the number one seed in the AFC. Um, so you're talking about a team that Tom Brady struggles with, and then you're talking about Tom Brady possibly having to go on the road in order to win a playoff game in Kansas City. Now you also are talking about Andy Reid in the playoffs, and so there's that as well because he seems to have some of his greatest coaching blunder decisions in the playoffs. But Tennessee against Kansas City, I'm going to take Kansas City. Well, when I originally made my picks, I had chosen the Chiefs to win. So I'm going to kick myself if it turns out they do win, and I didn't keep my pick. I ended up moving it to Tennessee. And the main reason I moved it to Tennessee was the run game of Tennessee versus Uh the run defense of Kansas City. And right okay. now, the the run the rushing offense for Tennessee is is third in the league, um, and and the run uh, the rushing defense for Kansas City is twenty seven. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know what? So th- but the Kansas City and in a game that they must scores win more points. The Kansas City defense scores more points than the San Francisco Forty ers offense. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably legit. I made that up, but it's probably actually legitimately true. All I will say is this. I think think this game is going to be about whether or not Tennessee can establish the run game the way that they have in the past and if they're just going to keep cramming it as much as possible and then utilize uh, Mariota when they need to with the pass. But just to um, control the clock and – get as much yardage as possible on on the ground and when they need to go in the air. But when it comes down to it, um, you know, Kansas City in regards to passing defense is much stronger. Um, So I think their best bet is to keep it on the ground as much as possible and control the clock. All right, so that takes us to another cold-weather state, but this time they're playing indoors with the Minnesota Vikings hosting the Indianapolis Colts. And, of course, I know which way Phoebe's going on this one. Well, because they failed me when I finally gave them a chance. Jerk. My dumb, (laughs) I'm going to take the Colts just because I'm a glutton for punishment. So, at seven and six, this is probably couldn't spell the end for the Vikings as well. If they lose, they would be 7-7, seven and seven, and I think they'd be on the outs for NFC playoffs. Uh, so I'm taking the Colts. You're taking the Vikings. We got one we we can we can use to measure our uh, – Well, also our Tennessee pick, Tennessee versus yeah, Kansas City as well. pick. That might, that might even it out for us. But I got to make up two games here somewhere. And the next but you can't the pick Jaguars. in that with that mentality. You can't really can't. Yeah. I mean, when uh, I, I when I told what I told David is 
don't don't pick to catch up. Just pick with your gut. And look, now yeah, he's number one. Not to say not to say that's the reason why, but just saying. No, obviously, it was your advice that helped. Of course. Okay, I, I, I'll take so, that phrase. <laughs> all right, you can take it. Oh my gosh, we got another game with ninety-six percent on one side and four percent on the other. That four percent is the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm not picking the Jaguars to beat anybody anywhere again for the season. Give me the Texans. Uh, give me the Texans as well. I don't know All what's right. going to happen with Gus, but this is the this is the worst odds of the week at ninety eight percent. The Atlanta Falcons are predicted to defeat the San Francisco Forty ers at home. There are two percent of ESPN voters out there or pickers that are going to pick the Niners. That's ridiculous. Give me the Falcons to get to nine and five. Uh, absolutely. When you have uh, the the third ranked passing offense facing the third thirtieth ranked passing defense, I am pretty sure they're going to get torched. Um, if I would, if I was, I would put my money on Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman and for like two or three touchdowns apiece. Oh, Ooh, I'm Lord. sorry. You know what? I was the reading that incorrectly. The, the Niners I, can't stop anybody running the ball. I was about to say, sorry, I was reading that incorrectly. The Atlanta is the third passing offense, but I've, the, the San Fran is 15th in passing defense. If the passing defense is 30th, is Atlanta to pay, to actually. Yeah, well, but it San doesn't Francisco, matter. San Francisco is 15th in passing defense because they are 32nd in rushing defense, and everyone's been running the ball. Yeah. Why would you pass the ball if you can run rush for over a hundred guaranteed against the Niners? It's a no brainer. So this game is a the next game is a pretty toss up uh, percentage wise. Got the New Orleans Saints going on the road to the Arizona Cardinals. I don't like Bruce Arians, so I took the Saints. That 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 that's how 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 you chose to go about it, huh? Yeah, I yeah that's the, the logic. I, that's the logic. I, you took the Cardinals. I did. All right. Um, okay. At the, the at the end of the day, it's it's tough because in the New Orleans right I now. They're both broken. <laughs> yeah. So, it is what it is. But I I, I chose Arizona. They're both not very relevant. Um. So the big game Sunday night. Big, big game or Sunday afternoon is the Patriots going on the road to Denver. Uh, Tom Brady usually struggles in Denver, but it looks like it's going to be Trevor Simeon. I took the Patriots uh, to win on the road. So, I don't know. We may have quite a few different today. Uh, You're right, because I chose the Broncos to win this game. Uh, Obviously, I think that New England can win pretty much anywhere, anytime, any. Any place, uh, but I'm, start, I'm starting. I just I'm starting to feel a little uh, wary. I may I may end up six six picks off the lead by the end of the day. Well, I, or I, I will. I, I, <laughs> whichever whichever way it goes. Yeah, this is crazy. All right. Uh, the, yeah, so, but just the main reason I will say this about Denver is is I think, um, 
I think they're hungry to beat New England. I think that they feel like they've done it before, they can do it again. So So they they if Denver lost it would be eight and six and like I said, that brings a lot of other teams back into the playoff mix. That's what I'm kind of looking at. Is 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 Denver's going to be maybe looking on the outside of the playoffs if they don't get things together. But Oakland, ten and three, is right there in the mix, but they're gonna head down to San Diego. I just you know, San Diego's been the best bad team all year, but I just don't feel like they have enough. Uh, but you never know how bad, I guess, it's either a thumb or a finger that, that's bothering Derek Carr. So, you know, the turnovers could change the face of this game, but I don't have enough confidence in in San Diego being able to get that done. So I'm going to take Oakland on the road. <clears throat> I think Oakland is probably one of the most balanced offenses in regards to passing and, and rushing. Yeah. So um, when it comes down to it, the Chargers have been part of a, a division that's been incredibly competitive. It's been a difficult road for them. I, I'm choosing the Raiders to win this one. All right, so let's see. This game has 84% is on one team and 16% is on the other. I have chosen the 16% team. I have Tampa Bay going into Dallas and getting a win today. I ha- I have uh, the Buccaneers winning uh, this game as well. I think that Why? they're coming in with a lot of confidence about what they can do, um, and they know that they're a lot stronger than people projected them to be. Uh, and I think the Cowboys – uh, will realize, you know, that it's not just going to be a cakewalk into to it all. Even though they've they've solidified their place um, in the playoffs. I mean, in the sense of they've clinched their their division. Um, it's um, it, the, the Buccaneers will give them a run for their money for sure. Okay, I, this is the scenario that plays out for me if Tampa wins this game. I believe that if Tampa is able to go in on the road to Dallas's home stadium and come away with a victory, the issues or the questions of Tony Romo will arise this week. Uh, if this situation happens, there will be a quarterback controversy in Dallas, and there will be many people in the media, there will be people within that franchise that will be looking to possibly replace Dak Prescott who's had, what, one bad game? But I think they're going to scuttle their own chances with this situation should they lose to Tampa this week. I think it's going to happen if they lose. That the, All the questions are going to come in, and they're going to – it's just going to destroy things from the inside. I don't know. What well, do you think? I mean, it's, I mean the reality is – to have the Cowboys have a conversation about which quarterback is better to go in, I mean, at least they that's their conversation, as, as horrible as that sounds, but at least that's their conversation versus we have all these quarterbacks and none of them are viable. Uh, well, see, here's, here's what I'm really looking at, too. 
in a scenario in my head where the Seattle Seahawks are going to the playoffs, I think they go in as a two seed. Um, I think that the Giants will lose and end up being the the three seed, or the and the Lions are going to lose. Well, excuse me, the Lions are going to lose and become the third seed. In that scenario, if Dallas loses its first playoff game, Seattle ho- can host home football games all the way to the NFC Championship. So going into the playoffs with turmoil could help, could benefit the Seahawks in the long run so that they have home playoff games, which would, you know, would make the, you can just look at our record for this year and realize that that would make things much easier. It could. I mean, who knows? Who knows? It's any given Sunday. A lot of things like play out I love weird ways. All right, so the last <laughs> game, I struggled with my decision here. And it's the Carolina Panthers going on the road to face the Redskins. I guess I just, at the end, I made the decision based on Keekly not being there. So I took the Redskins to beat the Panthers. It's Man, it's a long way from 15-1, and one, isn't it, Carolina? It's hard I mean, to stay on top. Yeah. It's it's hard to stay on top, but everybody – well, I shouldn't say everybody, but I, I think it, it, the majority could agree that last year was a little bit of an advantageous uh, schedule no for them. Have, it was, no one would have expected this far of a step back. Uh, no one predicted that. No one was even close. I, you, you wouldn't have anyone who would have selected eight and eight. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you think about it, when Bobby got on the radio with us, um, when that first all of it happened and we had this discussion about the Super Bowl hangover and would it affect uh, would it affect um, the Carolina Panthers, and he was resolute that they would not be part of that Super Bowl hangover, that there's a lot of things that the people outside of Carolina don't realize that they possess in, in regards to the weapons that they have and things of this nature. And I think it may have blindsided him a little bit more to realize, yeah, the Super Bowl hangover is definitely on, on the Carolina Panthers, that there are yeah. uh, issues that come up throughout the whole whole thing. I, I know that he tried to say, oh, the whole Josh Norman thing wouldn't affect them and all these different things. The things, but the reality is, I think it really did. And um, it's difficult. And it is and, really difficult. And the reality is, uh, Cam needs to take more steps forward than he actually has. And so, until all of those things come together, it's it's. I mean, they have a chance to bounce well, back next season, but you know, interesting. There's a lot of interesting narratives with the Panthers. I believe a lot of fan, Panther fans at, at the end of last season will say, okay, well, next season we're going into the season with a healthy Kelvin Benjamin. We'll just be that much better. And now they are so dissatisfied with with what Kelvin Benjamin has brought to the team for the year. They are really uh, almost angry, if you will, at, at how he's – kind of mailed it in this year and, and you know, it's, they're not happy at all. So, you know, sometimes things just don't work out the way you think they will, which is makes it even more amazing that we're in this five-year run with the Seahawks. And that's my biggest 
that's the last take I'm going to ta- have is that for five years, this has been the golden age of Seahawks football. But yet, even in a win, we have moaning and complaining. It just, I don't know why it gets under my skin so much that people can't be happy if it's not perfect or if it's if it didn't go the way they wanted it to or the ball didn't go to who they wanted it to. You know, it's a golden age of Seahawks football. Stop and enjoy it. Quit being so critical and and, and upset. I, I mean, if if you lose a game, it's a game. We used to lose all the time. Ah, it, it, nothing irritates me more. Well, all I will say is um, I chose the Redskins. <laughs> I just let me get that in, but. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I think it, it, is, it is Russell Wilson, and oh, I guess there's 60 seconds left, but I will say this. I think Russell Wilson was the one who said that he wanted to raise people's expectations of what this team is, is able to produce, oh, and that's in the rise to that too. thing. And so I think part of that is because he raised the expectations and encouraged that those expectations be raised, that, um, that you find people bemoaning. Um, at least I'd rather have them bemoan than be indifferent. I'd rather have them stay plugged into this team instead of just completely becoming indifferent and expecting success all the time and and feeling completely un uh, completely detached from everything that's happening with this team. So I'd rather have that. But anyways, with that said, uh, enjoy the rest of the NFL games today, um, and hopefully I'm back on top. At, <laughs> with my picks, but probably not. Okay. All right. Thanks, y'all. Bye.